Well, do you guys like a good speech? I mean like a good, motivational, inspirational, oh, get you all riled up kind of a speech. You know, there have been some outstanding speeches in history. We think of, of course, I have a dream, Martin Luther King. We think of, we choose to go to the moon. That was the terrible JFK impression, but JFK. We think of, never give in, Winston Churchill. We think of, ain't I a woman, Sojourner Truth. We think of Maya Angelou, Nelson Mandela, Abraham Lincoln. I even think of movies like Remember the Titans. Think of Armageddon, Independence Day, or my personal favorite cinematic speech of all time, The Battle of Sterling, William Wallace, Braveheart. Oh, man. I'm not even Scottish, but I watched that. I'm ready to fight the English. Woo! Love, that's my favorite movie of all time. I mean, it just it, it speaks to me because the whole movie is about having courage and standing for what you believe in. And so July 4th, 2004, a day I will never forget, and it seems like it was just yesterday, July 4th, 2004 was the very first day I ever preached an actual sermon. At the time, I was in college, and uh, my buddy and I were serving in a ministry at a youth correctional facility for high school age youth outside of Denver. And so the chaplain said, hey, I'm going to be gone this weekend, but I want you to preach. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never preached before. He's like, ah, you'll be fine. Just, just preach. I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, well, what do I preach on? Well, it's July 4th. How about freedom? I'll preach on freedom. And so I memorized the whole William Wallace speech. And I mean, I did this thing right. I did it in a Scottish accent. I played the background music, music behind me. And I'm getting into it. And I didn't do the war paint. But I'm getting into it. And uh, I get to the point, and they must take our lives but they'll never take our freedom. And at that point, all 200 high school guys who are in this detention center stand up and they start going, freedom, freedom, freedom. And I thought at that moment, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> My first sermon ever and I just incited an insurrection. <laughs> Woo. What is it about a, just a speech that gets you all amped up? See, all these speeches have one thing in common. They appeal to something greater than ourselves. And this psalm is a rallying cry of victory. In fact, many uh, believed it was classified as the psalm of confidence. How many of you can use a psalm of confidence today online? How many of you can use a psalm of confidence today? Come on now. Anybody use a psalm of confidence today? And many believe, many theologians believe, scholars believe that this was sung liturgically when the enemies were pressing in on the Israelites in the city of Jerusalem. They're about to lay siege to the city. The armies are coming and they knew not what to do except to just sing to the Lord, to cry out, to shout out to one another a cry for help. So they would sing and cry out and quote Psalm 46 as a rallying cry of confidence in our Lord. So that's what we're going to do today. In fact, the whole point this morning is this, God's powerful presence conquers fear. Oh, I wish I had some people excited. God's powerful presence conquers fear. So turn to Psalm 46 if you're not there already in your Bibles, on your phone, tablet, whatever, where you have a copy of the scriptures. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is our refuge and our strength, our stronghold. He's our hiding place. 
He's that place you go to where no one can get to you. You know, I remember when I was a kid, when I was younger, uh, I'd be laying in bed and my mom would come in and she'd tuck me in and she would give me a kiss goodnight and she'd turn off the lights and she would leave the room and the moonlight would come through the window and cast shadows and play tricks on my mind and it looked like things were moving in the closet and under my bed and all around the room. And so what do you do when you're younger and you think there are monsters going to get you? You take those sheets and you woof, whip them over your head. Man, high school was some rough days. That was a joke. No, but when I was a kid, that's what I would do. I would get under those blankets. I would get under those covers. Why? I, I don't know. Maybe I thought monsters couldn't break through 300 thread count cotton sheets. I don't know. But that was my refuge. That was my stronghold. That was the place where no one could get me. Monsters couldn't get me. I was safe and secure under there. God is a refuge, a shelter for protection, relief from the storm. We see that in verses 2 and 3. And from the battles in life, we see that in verses 8 and 9. And God offers relief from the storms and from the battles of life. Folks, have we seen some storms and battles in 2020? Now, does it say, does it say in this psalm that God keeps us from troubles in life? That he keeps us from the storms? That he keeps us from the battles? Does it say that? No! But he offers us his presence. He offers us himself as a refuge and strength in the storm, as a strength in the battles. And so we can run to him to find peace in our souls. We can find a quiet confidence in him. I remember when we used to live in Texas, we lived in this little one-bedroom apartment. And Sky and I were fairly newly married. And man, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we would get some storms. I mean, it was just a deluge of rain pouring down, just storms pouring. And behind our apartment, there was this pond. And in a hard rainstorm, this pond would fill up, fill up, and then it would just flood over the hill. And it, would, it looked like a waterfall. It would just be coming down. And I remember one night, it's just pouring down. The pond is overflowing. And we see this mama duck on the other side with all her little baby ducks. And they're trying to cross this little powerful stream, this waterfall, and the mama duck is, you know, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> that's the best duck you're going to get from me, Go crossing the, the, the stream, and the little ducklings are falling behind, but there was a couple ducklings that got caught on the other side, and so the mama duck went back to go get them, and she brought them over, and they all came under our patio, under our deck, and the mama duck just opens her wings like this, and all those little ducklings just cheep, 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 come right up to her side, and she lays her wings upon them and brings them in and draws them to her side. And I had always wondered in Scripture where it says that we can seek God as a refuge under his wings, that we come under the protection as refuge under his wing. God spreads out his wings, so to speak, and he draws us in, and he brings us close where he is near. That's why it says he has a very present help in trouble. You know, this is worded interestingly in the Hebrew. You guys ready for this? I don't think you're ready for this. Are you ready for this? In the Hebrew, if you worded it word for word, here's what it says. A help in distress who lets himself be found exceedingly. Come on now. Come on. Someone get excited about that. A help in distress who lets himself be found exceedingly. God is our help in troubles, and he is incredibly, ineffably, abundantly, exceedingly, unbelievably, immeasurably available to help. He's exceedingly present. He's not only one call away. He's here. Somebody say, he's here. 
He is here. He's near so we can cry out to him, oh, Lord, I need your help. Someone say that. Oh, Lord, I need your help. You ever pray that? How many of you have prayed that in 2020? How many of you have prayed that in the last month? Last week, those online, how many of you have prayed that? Oh, Lord, I need your help. How often do you pray that? You know, I pray that all the time. Now, does God delight in that prayer? Let me read some passages to you. Exodus 2, 23. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for what? Help. And God heard their groaning. 2 Chronicles 14. Asa cried to the Lord, his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help. Okay, you're going to catch on to this. None like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. Psalm 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. Come on, we, 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 let's, let's do this together. Okay, ready? He cried for Help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my come quickly to my aid. Psalm 28. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for. Psalm 30. O Lord, my God, I cry to you for. And you have healed me. Psalm 31. You have heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for. Psalm 34. When the righteous cry for. The Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 38, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Psalm 40, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Psalm 44, let's pick it up a little bit. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Psalm 60, O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Psalm 79, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Psalm 106, remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them. Psalm 109, help me, O Lord, my God. Save me according to your steadfast love. Psalm 119, I'm running out of breath right now. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Lamentations 3, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for Help, Matthew 15, but she came and knelt before Jesus saying, Lord, help me. Do you think for a second that God doesn't delight in our cries for help? Now I see why Dexter preaches with a sweat rag. Man, (laughs) these verses are just a fraction of the hundreds of times in the Bible that it mentions crying out to the Lord for help. Do you think that God delights for help? Now, why would God delight in that cry for help? Well, prayer, or the lack thereof, shows where our confidence lies. And so prayerlessness, self-dependence, and pride all go together. See, when we are prayerless, we are dependent on self. And when we are self-dependent, we are prideful. So prayerlessness, self-dependence, and pride all go together. Think about the times when you have prayed the most. Was it in times of need or times of abundance? Probably times of need. It's when we hit rock bottom, we are at the bottom of the well, and we have nowhere to look but up that we cry out to God. Conversely, what about the flip side when you're like, oh, God, I've got this. God, you get the big stuff. You know, uh, my marriage is on the rocks. I'm looking for a job. My friend has cancer. We're in the midst of a pandemic. You can get all that stuff. I'll get the little things. God, I'll get the small things. You get the big things. And that's how we tend to look at prayer. I think of Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, you have the disciples of Jesus. 
And they're ministering to this father and his son who is tormented by a demon. And this demon would cause this little boy to convulse and foam at the mouth and fall into fire and fall into water trying to harm him. And the father goes to the disciples and says, please, can you do something? And they can't cast out the demon. And so then Jesus rolls up. Jesus comes up and he says, let me, uh, let me give it a shot. He asks the father, how long has he been like this? He's been like this for a long time. And then the father says, listen, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is a cry for help. If you can do anything, and Jesus is like, it, I'm sorry, if I can? If I can, do you know who you're talking to? This is the king of kings and lord of lords. If I can. And the father says, listen. I'm sorry, Jesus says, all things are possible for him who believes. And the father says, oh, I do believe. Here's where he gets real. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And I pray that prayer all the time, too. You know, as believers, sometimes we have moments as unbelievers. You understand that, right? Every time we sin, it's a moment of unbelief. Every time we doubt, it's a moment of unbelief. I call it seasonal unbelief disorder. Suds, I guess? I don't know. <laughs> we are washed over by, okay, never mind. Uh, unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. He gets real right here. So first he's praying, Lord, help my son. Jesus, help my son. Now he's saying, Lord, help me. I need your help. You know what Jesus does? He casts out the demon. He heals his son. And so the disciples come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what, what gives? Why could we not cast out this demon? And he says, this kind can come out by nothing but what? Prayer. 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 Here's my question. Whose prayer? Whose prayer was it? I think it was the father's. This father of the son. He prayed. He asked Jesus for help for his son. Then he asked Jesus, for help for him, for the unbelief that he had, he cried out for help in dependence, in reliance, in humility. And that's the thing. Prayer is dependence. And we neglect prayer because we underestimate how God is a very present help in trials. I mean, look what it says. He's not just a present help in good times, in blessing times, not just good, uh, present help when things are great. He is a present help in times of trouble. And there, have been, there has been so much trouble in 2020. Whew. But God didn't go anywhere in 2020. God didn't leave when he's like, oh, a pandemic? Oh, you guys, you're on your own. God hasn't left us even in the midst of trouble, especially in the midst of trouble. He is a very present help in trouble. We look on in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, you know when you read scripture and you see the word therefore, what should you ask? What's the therefore? Therefore. He's saying, therefore, since God is our refuge, since he is our strength, since he is a very present help in trouble, we will not fear. Even though the earth is changed and the mountains crumbled into the sea and the waters rise rapidly, we will not fear. You know, this is describing a shattering earthquake that causes the mountains to break apart and fall into the sea, making the waters roar and would cause a tsunami. I think of movies like Day After Tomorrow, 
2012, San Andreas, you know, where the earth is just crumbling and falling apart, but yet you have Dwayne Johnson, the rock, and he's flying an airplane between skyscrapers falling down because he's the rock and he can do whatever, right? And you're like, oh, this man, this, and look at the confidence he has. But in reality, this would be terrifying. And yet we look at this verse and notice the calm demeanor and confidence. Though the world is collapsing, we will not fear. Natural disasters? No fear. Destruction? No fear. Pandemic? No fear. And when our lives crumble, our natural tendency, the bent of our human nature is that we begin to crumble. Faith falters into fear. Hope is crushed under despair. Joy gives way to sorrow. The weight of life is too heavy to bear. And one might say that these responses would be natural, but, oh, we don't follow the ways of natural men, friends. We follow a supernatural God. And our God says, come, come on, come to me. Allow me to be your rock-solid foundation. Allow me to be your refuge. And though all else is crumbling, I will never crumble. Though others may abandon you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Though your heart may fail, I cannot fail. And though you may want to quit, I will never quit because I am God, your exceedingly present help in times of trouble. So number one, God is our refuge and help in hardships. How many of you believe that? Those online, hit that like button. You believe that? God is our refuge and help in hardships. Look at verse 4. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Notice the abrupt change of scenery, particularly with the water. In verses 2 and 3, waters are raging. They are surging. They're chaotic. But now there's a calm river with streams that make the city of God joyful. And some of the same words used in verses 2 and 3 are now used in verse 6. The mountains were tottering, now the earthly kingdoms are tottering. The waters were roaring, now the nations roar. So no matter if we were talking about natural disasters or earthly battles, difficult circumstances or difficult people, the point is God is there among us. And without God's presence, there is chaos. But in God's presence, there is confidence. Now what's different about this section is that it features God's power. Verse 6 says that God utters his voice. Literally, he makes a sound and the earth melts. Oh, church, I don't think you heard that. God speaks a word. He can speak a whisper and the earth melts. We don't even begin to understand how powerful our God is. I remember when I was a kid and I would, uh, I was, this might be hard for you to believe, but I was a little troublemaker as a kid. My wife just laughed. I don't know what that means. I was a troublemaker. My dad would say, son, I made you. I can take you out. <laughs> now, I think he was mostly joking, I hope. <laughs> I made you. I can take you out. Now, what did he mean? Well, I brought you into this world. I could take you out of this world. And God made everything. He spoke creation into existence, and he could take it all out if he wanted. He has that truly awesome 
power. And we has, when he has that kind of power, why would we quake when the mountains quake? Why would we fear if the nations and kingdoms rage against us? Romans 8.31. Remember Romans? Romans 8.31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? The psalmist says, God is in the midst of the city, so she shall not be moved. In fact, the city of God is referred to as the holy habitation of the most high God. God dwells there among his people. A river flows through the city. In fact, verses 4 and 5 alludes to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2 and to the eternal city of God in heaven that we see in Revelation 21. You understand that, that, that this right here is the story of God creating man. But man rejected God. But God still loved man. And so God sent his son to be the God-man who died at the hands of man to redeem man back to God so that man can dwell forever again with God. And it's bookended with Genesis 1 and 2 and then Revelation 21 and 22 where you have mankind, humanity, dwelling with God in the garden again. It's all about being restored back to the garden. And in the garden, there is a river that runs through it. And Revelation 21.3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Man, is that good stuff or what? The psalmist says God will help her. He will help his people when morning dawns. God breaks through the darkness. See, the night, the darkness does not last forever. Rest assured, the light is coming. For those, any Batman fans in here? Batman fans, come on now. I am a comic book nerd. I see Chris in the back. Yes. Dark night. In the dark night, you remember this quote? The night is always darkest before the dawn. But I promise you, the dawn is coming. Friends, 2020 feels like night. 2020 feels dark. 2020 feels Horrible and awful and bad things are happening in 2020, but I'm telling you, the dawn is coming. The Lord is coming. And so verse 7, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, Lord of hosts, this is an interesting title. What does, what does this mean, hosts? Well, hosts meant armies. And so God certainly commands the vast heavenly armies of angels, myriads and millions and millions of angels, but mostly this name specifies God's sovereignty. God rules and reigns over all. God is almighty and God is sovereign, and yet this says that God is with us. Not over us, although that's true. Not above us, although that's certainly true. Not beyond us, although yes, absolutely that's true, but with and among us. See, friends, Christianity has the most unique and appealing understanding of God's transcendence. That means he's beyond time and space, but also his imminence, that he is directly near us, that he is intimately involved with us. Transcendence and imminence. Transcendence without imminence, we, we see this in Islam. We see this in deism. Deism was this belief that God created the universe. He wound it up like a clock, set it down, and then left it to its own devices. So transcendence without imminence, God is portrayed as, portrayed as powerful, but he can seem distant and cold, impersonable and unrelatable. But imminence without transcendence, we see that in pantheism. Pantheism is where God is not 
over creation. He's actually a part of his creation. God can be thought of as in creation, not sovereign over it. He can be loving, but he's not holy. The fact is that God is both powerful and holy, and he is both loving and with us. He is both over us and above us, and he is near to us and with us and among us. And in this psalm, he is shown to be sovereign, mighty, holy, powerful, and exalted, but simultaneously, he is comforting, protective, eager to help, and near to us. He is exceedingly present to us. See, the best part of salvation is not eternal life. You understand that, right? Don't, don't, don't want to just go to heaven so you can get your fire insurance. The best part of salvation is not eternal life. It's not even freedom from sins. It's not purpose in life. It's not hope in life. All those are amazing gifts of grace, and we revel in those. But the greatest aspect of the gospel is that we get to be forever with God. And so number two, God's presence gives us steadfast confidence. Look at verse 8. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts. Here it is. He says this again. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love how the psalmist says, hey, come on, look at this, come, look with me, look at God's works, look at how God defeats all his enemies and enacts peace. Show of hands, how many of you have a friend or family member in the military, or you know anyone who has ever served in armed, service, armed forces, military, that's the vast majority of us. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was no more need for soldiers? No more wars, no more battles, no more weapons, no more armies. Can you imagine a world at rest? The nation's in total peace. No more conflicts, no more power struggles, no more strife. Do you realize that since World War II, there have been more wars and major battles than the previous 19 centuries combined? We're not becoming more peaceful. We are becoming more and more violent as a society, humanity is becoming more violent, but yet this says that God will destroy the weapons of warfare. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the war chariots. God is, and we sang this, he is and will be victorious. He triumphs over his enemies. They're nothing to him. Oh, Satan may be scheming. He may be enacting his evil plans in this world. He may be laughing it up, wringing his hands, wreaking havoc in 2020, but it's God that has the last laugh. See, sin, sin tried to keep our Savior down, but it found that you can't keep a God-man down. Death tried to hold him and found out you can't keep him. Satan tried to laugh and have victory over him. But our God said, uh-uh, Jack, <laughs> I am victorious. He is God, he is victorious, and he puts an end to war because he is the prince of peace. He will be exalted in all the earth, among all nations, all tribes, all languages, all tongues, all people groups. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so in the midst of chaos, conflict, and catastrophe, God is there. He's victorious. And you look at verse 10, you realize that the only line of this entire psalm where God is actually speaking is verse 10. 
And this verse is quoted a lot, usually out of context, to talk about the importance of silence and solitude and meditation before God. And all those things are very important, and there's truth to that. But, but look, look again at verse 10. The word be still is actually a command to drop it. Let it go. In fact, if you have the New American Standard Version, it says cease striving. Ooh, I like that. It's that word, Hebrew word, Rafa. Everyone say Rafa. Rafa. You know, yesterday, our two daughters were playing, and they were arguing, they were trying to share Barbies. I want to play with Elsa. No, I want to play with Elsa. And so I said, hey, stop it. Quit it. Now, if I was a Jewish parent speaking Hebrew, I'd say, hey, Rafa. Rafa. In fact, some of you parents, try that today. You'll freak your kids out. Rafa. What are you talking about, mom? But listen, uh, when it says, Rafa, be still, God is saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop fighting with fear. Quit wrestling with worry. Abandon your struggle with stress. Let it go. There's an old cliche, let go and let God. Now this, listen, this doesn't mean let go passively, don't put any effort, you don't have to do anything while God does everything. That's not what it says. It means let go of control and let God take the reins. I, I think about, you know, you, you think about a tug of war, right? You have a team on this side, you have a team on that side, and there's a pit in the middle. And Satan is just laughing it up on the other side, trying to reel you in. He's pulling you in, and you're like, no, I got this. I got this on all my might, all my strength. But you are inching closer and closer to that pit as he pulls and pulls. And you're pulling with all your might, and you're trying to do good works, and you're trying to be religious, and you're trying to be a good person, and you are pulling with all your might. And meanwhile, God is behind you saying, excuse me, may I? May I take this? No, 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 God, I got this, I got this, I got this. Oh, almost got it. But meanwhile, you are going toward the pit, and he says, Rafa, son, daughter, let it go. Just let it go. Let me do my thing. And so finally you say, okay, God, I trust in you. And you let go of the rope, and he's just like, boom. <laughs> Satan goes, ah, right into the pit. So he says, shh, be still, my child. Yeah, but God, no, shh, be still, my child. Yeah, but God, this pandemic yeah, but God, my marriage is on the rocks. Yeah, but God, my friend has cancer. Yeah, but God, I don't have a job and I don't know what to do. And he says, shh, be still, my child. Yeah, but God. Oh, how often we say that to God. You know, Moses, unbelievable man of God, said that to God. In Exodus 3 and 4, several times God says, I want you to lead my people Israel out of Egypt. He says, yeah, but God. Several times he said, yeah, but God, who am I? Yeah, but God, who should I say you are? Yeah, but God, what if they don't believe me? Yeah, but God, I can't talk well. Yeah, but God, please send someone else. And every time God reaffirms Moses by reminding him that he, the Lord, will be with him. That's his reassurance. He reminded him of his presence. And for many of us, we tend to tell God how big our mountains are. Maybe today we need to start telling our mountains how big our God is. So where, where is our confidence when we trifle with worry and anxiety, fear, apprehension, doubt, stress? It's in ourselves or it's in others. It's completely misplaced. We forget that God is God. Amen. One of my favorite movies, sports movies, is the movie Rudy. 
scrawny little kid, wants to play for the Notre Dame football team. And he's talking to this Catholic priest, Father Kavanaugh. And Father Kavanaugh tells him, son, in all my years of doctrinal studies, in all my years of theology, I've learned two incontrovertible truths. There is a God, and I ain't him. God is God, and we are not. Or to put it how the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. See, in Hebrew grammar, the words for be still and know are called coordinate imperatives. I know that's I don't know, we're getting an English grammar lesson here a little bit, but they are, the coordinate imperatives means these are commands that go together. I, I think of like, run, go run and play. If you tell your kids, run and play, you, you're telling them, go run, then play. Or in the New Testament, we see repent and believe. They're two verbs that go together. Repent, then believe. Repent and believe. Commands that go together. And here he says, in other words, first you must be still or let go, then you know that he is God. See, the second command is contingent on the first, let go. So number three, we let go of fear to know God's saving power in our lives. John Parsons says, we give up trusting in ourselves and our own designs in order to experience the glory of God's all-sufficiency. That's good. You can really only have one God in your life. You understand that, right? Only one God in your life. It's either the Lord or you. And when we try to take control, we are trying to be our own God. God the Father cannot be your Lord. He cannot be your God until you stop trying to be your own God. That's why letting go is so essential. We let go and then we know that he is God. And when you let go and you surrender fears, you find peace in God's power and presence. We must know the greatness and almighty power of our God. More than merely understanding, more than merely knowing about him, we must know by faith that he is God. So this leads to the last point, number four, rest in God's sovereignty. God is our refuge, and we are secure in him, ultimately because of Jesus. See, without Jesus, God cannot be your refuge. Through Jesus, we have right standing, we have hope, we have assurance, we have security, no longer under condemnation, but alive in perfect love from the Father. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. And so the main point today is God's powerful presence conquers fear. I'm going to have Leanne go ahead and come up uh, wherever you are and, and uh, play some prayer music, some mood music. <laughs> And we're going we're gonna to have some time in prayer. But here, I'm, I'm going to give you two takeaways today. Two takeaways. First, let go. Surrender fears, surrender worries, surrender anxiety. And this is not easy, which is why we must do the second thing. Not only let go, but pray. If prayerlessness indicates self-dependence, then prayerfulness shows reliance on God. So cry out to God. He's there. He's exceedingly, abundantly present. And he delights in this. And don't just pray to get things from God. Pray to get God. Enjoy God's presence. Pray in order to spend time with God. You know, Angie mentioned it earlier. In a storm, what do kids do? They cry out for their parents. And I remember two or three years ago, we had just recently moved to Indiana. We're in the Midwest. And, you know, Midwest, we get some storms, right? We get some thunderstorms. And it was just one of those nights around midnight, <laughs> the lightning and the thunder. It was loud. And 
and our oldest daughter, Genevieve, was crying. And so I went into her room, and she said, Daddy, I don't like the noise. I don't like the thunder. So I wrapped her up as a, as a dad does, and I said, no, Daddy's here. Hold on. Daddy's here. You can have confidence right here. Daddy will be your stronghold. Daddy will be your refuge. Just hold on. You're good right here. You're good with Daddy. And it was still thundering, and lightning was still going off. Oh, hold on. Hold on, sweetie. Daddy's here. But yeah, but, but the thunder, listen, the thunder can't get you. That's just a noise. That's just a noise. Daddy's here. And so many times we get all riled up. So many times that we get stressed and we get anxious and we get worried and we're filled with fear. And we cry out to God, God, I don't know what to do. God, I need you. God, I need your help. I don't know what to do in this moment. And in that moment, God, our Father, wraps us in his arms and he pulls us in tight. And we're saying, but Lord, but Lord, he's a shh, no, no, I got you. I got you right here. But God, the noise out there, forget about that noise out there. That's just a noise out there. That noise can get you. I got you right here. Put your confidence in me. I am your father. And that's what it is. Let go and pray. So right now, we're going to do that. We're going to have a time of just silent prayer, meditation on the Lord. Just cry out to him. Wherever you are, just cry out to him. If you are online, in, in, in your living room, at a coffee shop, whatever, if you're here, you know, we're going to have time where you just cry out to the Lord in prayer. Say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your help. So let's have a time right now of silent prayer.